Well, yeah, I'm Carlo, one of the pastors, and glad to be able to share with you uh, the word today. And I wanted to start off sharing with you a little update about my life. You know, a couple months ago that I gave a report about my heart condition that I realized that I had. I inherited this thing called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, a big mouthful of words, and it was pretty devastating and frustrating to hear those words and go through a bunch of barrages of tests that were expensive. And I do have good news, though, and that's that uh, the doctors say that there's relatively little scarring in my heart and that there's no uh, blood flow obstruction. So praise God for that. Yeah? That is good. Well, uh, um, and I continue to just walk in faith and thankful for the prayers of the community that's been walking with me in this. What I didn't tell you was that uh, since this is genetically inherited, um, all three of my kids had a 50-50 chance of receiving this gene. So we've been waiting for the same four-month period, uh, going through the hoops to get them tested. And finally, I got the phone call from the genetic counselor that the results were in. Kelly and I had already talked, so I'm like, here's our plan. We're going to take whoever has it out of school, tell them individually, and kind of let them deal with it and process with them, and then tell the other one or two whoever has it. She says, that sounds like a good plan. Now in my head, I'm thinking, you know, we did pray for the possibility that all three kids would not have this, but we were geared up for, for the, the news. And so she says, are you ready to hear the, the outcome? I said, yeah, by all means. I've been waiting for months. She says, none of your kids have this gene. <laughs> Woo! I was like, what? Are you kidding me? None of them have it? Oh, my goodness. Dan, check it out. You guys, this is... I can't believe it. It's done. This is finished. Not only do they not have this gene, but that means it can't be transferred to future generations. It's over. It ends with me. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I can't wait to tell my wife. Okay, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm like tearing up. I get on the phone with my wife. I'm like, Kelly, believe me, it's done. It's over. They said we don't, our kids don't have it. I can hardly get the words out. We're both just tearing up, so excited. Oh, my goodness. So thankful and praising God for this answer to prayer. Those who knew this, we were carrying and carrying that burden with me. It was, it was just something that was, was so wonderful to get that news. I mean, talk about good news. Oh, so I just, can we give praise to God one more time and just say, thank you, Lord. You're a God who heals. Yeah, God is, he's alive and he's at work in the world today. What a faith builder for us as we walked through that valley of the shadow of death. Well, uh, this, this morning, as we already heard from Kathy, we're talking about good news. I mean, that was just a whole barrage of, of good, good news that's going out into the world through Hillcrest Chapel that we're getting to be a part of. And for the next three weeks, we're going to be hearing more and more of those stories to encourage us to keep on this track. It'd be helpful, though, today, as we look at more in depth at the good news, to remember the bad news, because it kind of makes the good news gooder. You know, the reality is we were all born with heart problems. 
not talking about physical heart problems, though we may have that, but when we were born, when we were conceived, we were given this genetic disposition to do the wrong thing, to choose the wrong thing to say, to think the wrong thing, to be rebellious, cowardly, and on and on. Jesus puts it this way in Mark chapter 7, verse 21. For it is from out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And the list goes on and on. Which one of these would you say you self-diagnose as one of your heart problems today? Maybe it's not on this list. Maybe it's something else. I know for me, there's, there's numerous things that aren't even listed here that I'm like, yeah, that's me wrestling with. In Paul's letter to the Romans, where we're going to be camping today in that book, uh, he points out that our own consciences even bear witness and even defend us sometimes. You know that experience when you get in this fight and you're like, well, she said, and if he hadn't have just given me that look, And we're trying to defend ourselves for our big blurt out of something we were totally inappropriate to say or do. David Brooks, a New York Times writer who's not a Jesus guy, confesses, whatever donation I make to charitable organizations, it can never be as much as I could have given. I can never diminish my carbon footprint enough or give to the poor enough. Colonialism, slavery, structural poverty, water pollution, deforestation. There's an endless list of items for which you and I can take the rap. The earthly consequences to this are big, as a quick look at history books or the the nightly news will tell us. We are making a mess of things, and we have for centuries... We know that we're broken, that our hearts are broken, but we can't fix them. We can't figure it out. And the news goes from bad to worse. Someday, all our hearts stop. And then post-mortem, we need to stand before this God of all power and authority and try to come up with a, a kind of an account of how we lived and what we chose to do and say or not say and do. I tell you, as long as I've been following Jesus, I still, even though I'm trying to be like him, I would hate to try and give an account of how I lived and the decisions I've made. It's not good news. It's bad news. It's like being told we have a heart condition. We need to sit with that. For a sec. It'd be good to do that. Think about that tons and tons of people live in that experience of brokenness, broken heartedness. Thankfully, there is good news, and it's very, very good news. If you got a Bible or some, uh, on your on your smartphone, turn with me to Romans chapter 10, and start with verse 9, 
Romans is about 11 sixteenths of the way through your Bible. Uh, it's just after Acts and John. After not all the, the guys here at construction, they're like, yes, 11 sixteenths. Thank you. Um, and he's been for about nine chapters painting a pretty bleak picture of the human experience apart from Jesus. But uh, check out with me in verse 9. Let's read this together, if you will, out loud. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's that simple. If you declare Jesus is Lord, believe God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There aren't a bunch of rules and things we need to, to start off with. We don't have to be good enough. It's about Him being good enough. If we declare Jesus is Lord and believe this, we're saved not only from death, but from eternal destruction and hell. And we are saved to this incredible life with God and with the believing people of God for eternity. In paradise. That is good news. Let's look a little closer at this uh, phrase, Jesus is Lord. It's one of those kind of classic Christianese phrases that you maybe see on a bumper sticker or a billboard. But, but what does it mean, Jesus is Lord? To start with, it would be good to, to look at what it meant for Paul in his day. Treason. That's what it would mean to say Jesus is Lord. Because you see, Caesar was Lord. He alone had all authority to him in heaven and on earth. He deemed himself God. He had power to say peace or death to whoever would get in his way. So to say Jesus is Lord, to, to give your allegiance to him over Caesar, would be to put yourself in death's way, in a brutal death, if it was discovered that you were making such claims. Jesus is Lord. It, it even goes further when, when we look at what this word kurios means. You see, in the Hebrew Bible... The word Yahweh was the word given for the name of God. When they translated that Bible to Greek, in all of the Old Testament places where it said Yahweh, the word kurios was put, Lord. So the same word here in the New Testament is saying Jesus is not only Lord, He is God. He is the one and only God. That's audacious. It's ridiculous. Come on. You're going to tell me that? For them, it was true. And what, what was the proof about it? For them, it was his resurrection from the dead. I mean, you got to admit, that's a, it's pretty good to have on your little resume. Rose from the dead. Wow, when did you do that? Uh, you know... Either Jesus rose from the dead or the mission failed. 
This isn't, this isn't something that's like, oh, that's nice, that's true for you, but we believe this. No, no, no. If it, if it didn't happen, we're a bunch of idiots as Christians. We should totally give it up. It's a total waste of time if Jesus did not rise from the dead. Listen how Paul puts it in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. To be pitied. Oh, you poor Christians, you're so dumb. You think that you're going to rise from the dead. Meanwhile, you're going to get fed to lions. Oh, poor guys, or be gladiators, or get torn apart by swords. If your faith is faltering today, or you're coming here and you're you're examining Christianity... I would encourage you to look at the resurrection. It's the linchpin of the faith. Many people over the centuries have tried to discover how it could possibly be untrue. Maybe they find a way. One in particular wrote a book not too long ago called A Case for Christ. And that book was really worth reading. In fact, they just made it uh, into a movie. It's out in the theater right now. A wonderful Wonderful thing to examine. If he rose, he conquered death itself. Think about that. That's that's the greatest thing you could ever do. If that has no hold on us, that's the greatest news ever. No matter what happens in this life, no matter how your marriage is, what job you get or don't get, how your grades come out, who you marry, whether you have kids, none of these things will be able to take away that post-mortem account and headline news that says, freely forgiven, joyful resurrection, celebration that never ends. That is our future. Is that your hope? Is it alive in your soul today? Does it mark how you think and how you feel about your life? Well, you know, sure, that's the great by and by. We got hope in heaven. But what about today? What, 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 is there any of this that's good news for today? Notice Paul doesn't say, Jesus will be Lord someday. No, he's Lord now. Even though the world may look like people are in in charge and things are going wrong, Jesus is over all things and has all power and authority. And he comes to his church and says, Church, I've got a mission for you. Go into all the world and bring the resurrection hope to people. Transform individual lives one at a time that would transform communities and states and whole countrysides. As the church has been doing for years. He calls us to literally free captives in Cambodia to to heal drug addicts in Detroit, 
to help those children in Rwanda to read books of the kingdom. He wants to turn hearts of the parents back to their children, to restore families, to cause those who are mourning and grieving to celebrate in joy. Did you know that the IRS has recorded 84,000 Christian nonprofits in the U.S.? 84,000 people who are, not people, organizations who are doing good. Organizations like World Vision, who just one of them, they partner with the church all over the world to bring the hope of Jesus one child at a time. And through the, the partnership and the sponsorship of children, over 4 million, over 4 million have been brought out of poverty and experienced the abundant life of Jesus. We heard Kathy tell story after story of, of the things that Hillcrest has been involved in. I checked in with, with uh, Cynthia about our food bank right next door. You know that 120 people are fed every, every two weeks in that program. And, and that there's 1,000 pounds of food given away every month. Just yesterday we had Hans from the Lighthouse Mission here in town come and share with the men at our men's breakfast about the good things that are happening through that ministry, how the poor are being cared for and lives are being transformed. Do you know that the city of Bellingham actually has gone to Lighthouse Mission to ask if they can partner with the Lighthouse to bring more space so that more people can be cared for? And they're like, well, we're not going to change our message. No, no, don't change your message. Breach the whole Jesus Lord bit and do it all. We'll, we'll just help you get land. What? Yeah, come on. The kingdom's coming right here in Bellingham. That's great news. And the whole world benefits. Now, I'm not saying this to pat ourselves on the back. Oh, aren't we great? You know, we're the church. No, I know we've totally blown it. You know, I mean, the, our history is marred with all kinds of really terrible things. The Crusades slavery. I mean, it just goes on and on. Our treatment of First Nations people. And I agree, these are, these are on our conscience. But I'm also proud to say that it was a Christian, Martin Luther, who stood up to the church and said, we got to change. we got to get in line with Jesus and His mission. It was a different Martin Luther King Jr. who stood up and said, I'm a Christian. This is what the Bible teaches. We've got to get in line with Jesus. Christians have for centuries looked at ourselves and said, we need to start with the judgment about our own lives and, and, and work and get back in line with Jesus and his mission to rescue the world. And I tru truly believe that Jesus, who is the Lord, is calling the church to the greatest works in its history. And right now, all over the world, it is growing and flourishing and doing incredible good like it never has been since its inception. And we get to be a part of it. That's what God's doing. It's good news for the whole world. There's a God who reigns. And a Savior who forgives.
Paul rallies the church to join God on his mission by asking a series of questions, the rhetorical questions that start in verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? They can't. And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? They can't. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? They can't. And how can they preach unless they are sent? They can't. Paul's rallying the church. Come on, guys. We got to get the word out. Can you help? Because listen, it's written. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. In the ancient world, the word good news was a Greek word, euangelion. Euangelion is where we get the word evangelism, evangelical, good news. But it was a secular word back then, and it was used for one of the messengers out on the battlefield when they'd finally get an, a victory They'd sprint back as fast as they could to the homeland and they'd give those people the good news. We won. (laughs) It's over. The enemy, they're gone. They've been vanquished. Some of you are probably familiar with the story of Pheidippides. You may have not known his name, but he was a Greek messenger who ran from a battlefield near the town of Marathon to Athens in 490 B.C., to announce the defeat of the Persians. Now imagine him hustling in those sandals. He didn't have the fresh Nikes like I got at the thrift store. He's like, oh man, he gets there. He's running in his sandals and, you know, he gets there. Do you think the people are like, whew, man, you should have changed them, washed them feet and cut them nose, bro, because you're stinking. No, 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 they see him coming on the mountaintops. Here. Oh, wait a minute. I think, I think he's waving his hands. He looks like he's smiling. I think he's got good news. And with his dying breath, he's like, Evangelion. We won. <laughs> we won. He's dead, but we won. Oh, thank you, God. Whoa, they're so pumped because the good news came to them. They were so longing to hear. Any marathon runners out there? No. There was only two in the first service. It, it, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's a bad idea. Marathons? I mean, the guy died who did it. Like, that should be an instant thing. We should not do this. I'll tell you, I'd rather wash toilets for three hours than, than run a marathon for three hours. And I mean, not to mention all the, like, work you got to do just getting ready for one torture but you know I did come up here in my fresh Nikes that are outstandingly bright because we got some serious work to do we got to run a race to get the news out right people need to know we won we won I don't even have to run to tell them thank God the news is so good that it only makes sense to do whatever we can to share it. Not only here in Bellingham, but around the world. 
by whatever means possible. You know, if you had the cure for cancer, wouldn't you share it with people? We have the cure for death. (laughs) Think about that. We have the cure for the heart disease that everybody has, that they all inherited from Adam and Eve. Jesus wants to give out new hearts. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know what's beautiful about Hillcrest feet? We actually have got lots of marathon runners. People we sent out to race for him. They're on the wall. We heard about them back here. People who've been going out for year-long races, lifelong races. I mean, we, we heard about a bunch of them just telling the good news that Jesus is alive. Our mission, it does so much good in the world. It really is good news. It's not just about giving people tickets to heaven. It's about transforming families and communities, cities and entire nations. It really is, as the Bible says, good news of great joy for all people. We get the privilege of keeping these good running shoes on the feet of our fellow racers. That's part of our work as a church. To help them to be equipped. To be able to, to, to keep going. We say, here's some water, fresh water. You can do it. We support you with our prayers. We say, God, help them. Strengthen them. Help them not to get hit in that wall and give up. No, it's too important. And so we send them, send them, send them. Even though we miss them, miss them, miss them. That's why we give to Faith Promise. The news is that good. Jesus lives. No greater news in the world that will ever go out than that we're saved in His name. So here's a couple questions for us to ponder. Who is the Lord putting on your heart to reach with this good news? And how is he prompting you to give to send this message further this year? I hope hope we will consider that and continue to consider that even this whole month. But perhaps you're here this morning and and this whole Jesus thing is new to, to you. You've never called him Lord. But you're finding your heart resonating with those words. You're finding your lips wanting to to repeat those. Because one who has conquered death, he, he really is the one who reigns for all time. We believe that there's a God who's alive today whose spirit is actually prompting you to say yes. Who's inviting you. Who's knocking on the door of your heart saying, yeah, will you say yes to me as Lord and let me transform your life? That's the invitation today. And it, and it doesn't require a whole bunch of steps to say yes to. You don't have to get your life in order to say yes to. In fact, all you have to do is say, my life's out of order. I admit it. I got heart problems. Your Lord, will you forgive me? 
and he does. If you want to respond this morning, you simply pledge allegiance to Jesus as Lord. And then as the first act of belief, you participate in this sacred meal called communion. When Jesus was together with his disciples just before he was to be crucified, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. It was a demonstration of Jesus, Lord and God, the great depths of his love. And following supper, he took a cup of red wine and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all for the forgiveness of your sins. When we take this juice representing his blood shed for us, we remember that God put a new deal in place. That we no longer have to try and earn our way to him into his good graces. That the slate is wiped clean. It's the best news that the world will ever hear. I'll invite servers to come forward and to take their places two in front, three in the back. There's a gluten-free station in the middle for all who have that need. As you come forward, I'd welcome you to, to make a little different statement of declaration. You'll see it up on the screen there to remind us. The servers will say, the body of Christ broken for you. And you can respond, Jesus is Lord. And the blood of Christ shed for you. And respond, Jesus is Lord. Let's step out and step into this wonderful relationship with God. Let's pray. We invite you, God, to move in our midst. To speak to each one of us about what it means that you are Lord. Would you call to us, even through this meal, of the great sacrifice that you gave, that that would... That would just be good news to us. That would make us go, yes, in our hearts. To rejoice, just as we rejoiced of my heart and my children's hearts. Do good work through your church, God. Empower us for what you have in store. In Jesus' name, amen. Come and participate, friends. The table is set for you.